I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is my wonderful friend Elizabeth Day, one more time on Slow Mo to talk about her new book, Magpie. Elizabeth is the author of four novels and the Sunday Time best-selling memoir, How to Fail, and recently Philosophy, which we spoke about here on Slow Mo. Her first book, Scissors, Paper, Stone, won a Betty Trask Award. Home Fires was an Observer Book of the Year. Paradise City was named one of the best novels of 2015 in the Evening Standard. The Party was an Amazon bestseller. Richard and Jude Book Club picked it as one of their picks. She is also, of course, an award-winning journalist, has written extensively for The Times, The Telegraph, The Guardian, The Observer, and Elle. Uh, She is, uh, of course, currently a columnist. She is, of course, the host of How to Fail, which is one of the top podcasts in Britain and perhaps one of the first reasons I was introduced to the United Kingdom when we had a couple of episodes together that were highly appreciated by listeners. Since then, Elizabeth, because she's one of the most wonderful humans on the planet and her wonderful husband, Justin, became very dear friends. We spoke a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, and she was a little uncertain about will Magpie, her next book, hit the charts or not. I'm here to bet that it will be on the charts in the UK in the first week of its release, and perhaps I thought I would bring it to your attention so that you can understand why. One of the things I intend to do during this podcast is I'm running a promotion to support Elizabeth with pre-orders. Pre-orders truly matter for the success of a book So stay tuned and stay with us until around halfway through the podcast where we will announce what the promotion is. We tried to record this on all of the traditional tools. Her headphones, I believe, didn't work. She believes that my microphone didn't. And so eventually we recorded this on Instagram Live where we were joined by around 300 people, more than 1,000 joined in and out, but constantly around 300 people were part of the conversation with lots of wonderful comments. Thank you all for joining. I hope you enjoy this conversation here on Slow Mo with my wonderful dear friend, Elizabeth Day. And there she is! We've done it! I can hear you! (laughs) No way! Seriously, now you can hear me. The funny bit is I tried to pin it on Elizabeth, just saying that the technology is not working on her side. She tried to pin it on my side. She basically (laughs) said she started to provide evidence that she's upgraded her Mac and that it's the new version. And that, you know, my voice was not showing little uh, waves, you said, right? Exactly. I was trying to pin it on you, but then I remembered that you're the former chief business officer of Google X. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I have no clue what I'm doing. Trust me. I have no idea what's happening with new technology. There was a time where the simplicity of technology mattered. Not anymore. Or maybe I'm old. Did I hear you say you're in Slovenia? I'm in Slovenia. Can you believe that? I can't. Well, I can because it's you and you're always talking about happiness. Look, here's what happened. 
I was boarding a flight from LA. I went uh, and met my wonderful, wonderful friend, Lewis House, to record uh, Scary Smart on his podcast. And then I was leaving from LA, going to Germany, because I have one target and one target only in life, which is to be in the UK in September, right? Now, of course, the, the UK is such an amazing place that they make it so hard to get there. Right. So, so I needed to be in a green country. So I decided to move from the US, which is on the amber list, to, to Berlin, which is on the green list, only to realize as they checked me in, they gave me my boarding passes, they took my bag, they tagged it, they were carrying it and putting it on the conveyor belt. And then they said, oh, Germany has just changed their rules. Literally an hour before I was going to go, get on the flight and they said, if you're not double vaccinated, you can't get into Germany anymore. I was like, okay. Uh, you know, being a gentleman, I showed them that I have a German application that said I can get in. No, you can't get in. And then, you know, they walked to the other side, asked Lufthansa. Lufthansa said, you can't get in. I'm now 25 minutes before the flight, Turkish Airlines. And I don't know what to do. They said, maybe we can just stay in Turkey. I said, my God, I love Turkey searched, it's on the red list. No, Her Majesty, I need to go to the UK. So I said, if I bought another ticket to another place, would you be okay, supportive of that? They said, normally, no, but you're so nice, we're going to help you. I swear, that's exactly <laughs> what they said. So I was literally standing in front of the counter with four people around me, all so nice and wonderful, checking out which countries I can get into, checking, you know, if they're on the green list of the UK. I was on kayak buying my little ticket and then poof, I'm in Slovenia. And I absolutely love it. Amazing. But wait, are you not double vaccinated then? Let's not start that conversation. Yeah, I normally rarely ever take a stand on anything, but I'm taking a stand on this. Just because the math doesn't convince me. The math is not right. Everyone listening, you should go get vaccinated. This old man's mathematics is saying, I got COVID in February, which means I PCR tests and everything, which means I have antibodies that are better than a vaccine for the forward six months. Can I please get vaccinated in September? That makes total right? sense. Yeah. Like why, why would I waste six months of my life when I already have the antibodies and then have to get vaccinated again six months earlier the next year. It's and like, at you know, the same time, you're giving up your vaccine shot to someone who probably really needs it. Anyway, anyone watching, get vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, jabs. Are you? Which one? What? Which what? one? <laughs> um, no, I'm this is the, the bragging. With AstraZeneca, which isn't recognized by anywhere else, but, but it's I a actually, vaccine. I, I really like AstraZeneca. Actually, it's probably the one I'm going to get. Anyway, look, anyway. guys, so, so, so <laughs> the reason we are here is because somehow I received an email like a couple of weeks ago saying Elizabeth is doing something about magpie. My English doesn't serve me. I was like, what pie? I don't understand what a magpie is. Anyway, in the busy world that I live in, I just said, okay, I'll come back to this email later. And then because I'm an avid follower of Elizabeth on Instagram, I realized that magpie is a new book because you're a machine. You're right. Like, I don't know how you do it. This is what your seventh, sixth? It is my seventh book, yes. Who does that? Like, how do I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you all want to talk with your level of productivity. I think 
writing is a vocation for me in the sense that I need to do it to feel sane about the world. And so oh. I can't imagine there being a time when I wouldn't write, even if it weren't being published. And I also, as you know, I don't have children. And so all of that time, I might have been spending homeschooling and tearing my hair out. I can actually <laughs> put into producing books. And I never intended to write the two books that I wrote on failure. I never really intended to launch a podcast called How to Fail. And now I'm so grateful that I did, primarily because it made us friends. And on my like unofficial life guru, as you know. But two of those seven books were non-fiction books that I never intended to write about failure and how to deal with it. And I'm so grateful now that I've had that diversion in my life. And it's turned into a great, great gift. As you know, sometimes the things that aren't planned are the greatest adventures of one's life. Oh, absolutely. So um, that's why I've got an impressive total. <laughs> So those books are your children? Is that what you're saying? That's actually such a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah, well, I mean, trust you to get right to the deep. <laughs> um, I think, yes, actually. I think the closest I can come to understanding when people say, I don't have a favourite child, is looking at my books and understanding mm. that one of them took an enormous amount of thought and care and hard work and effort to bring them into the world, but also that each one of them has its own characteristics and its own beauty and its own flaws. And so that's the closest I can come. I mean, the other child that I have is my cat Huxley, obviously, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who might come in at any point because he hates being left out. We love Huxley. We all love Huxley. I have to say, Elizabeth, I was thinking about this in the morning. I don't know why so many interesting coincidences happen. I didn't intend to ask you this question, by the way, but I was thinking in the morning that every time I read some of your work, it literally felt like part of you. So there is, I don't know if, if what I'm going to say is correct, but I, I feel more than think about those things. There was always a bit of Elizabeth masked with a bit of fabulous craft of writing and masked with a bit of I'm not really sure what I wanted to do with this yet. You know, it's almost like you're writing about a part of you that you're discovering while you're writing. Yeah. Right? That's so true. And it's so beautiful because it really feels like part of you. It really feels like I'm, you know, I know you really well, but I'm sort of getting a nice, interesting peek about how you went through thinking about something and how it unfolded in your mind and in your heart. And that's, I find, is so beautiful. First of all, thank you for saying that, because I think that's one of the greatest compliments I've ever received, but that you specifically <laughs> could pay me, because I've never thought of it that way, but everything you say is completely right. I try and write from a very, very truthful place, and when I'm being truthful, that includes not just being truthful about an experience to a reader, but being truthful to myself about who I am, what my limits are, what my flaws are. And so I suppose you're right that I endeavour for it to be a very human experience. And I have absolutely processed, understood and dealt with things in my life through the act of writing about them. And mm. I would say that Magpie, so Magpie is fiction, it's a novel. So on one level, it's an invented story with invented characters. 
But on another level, I always use my characters as ways of getting my thoughts and my experiences of the world into the ether in a slightly different way from the way that I would if I were writing nonfiction. And when I was writing Magpie, I was going through fertility issues and I had a miscarriage and all of that finds its way into the plot. And I was writing it through lockdown. So it really helped me on so many levels. It helped me on the practical level of getting through each day in that very unsettling time of lockdown. Mm -hmm. But it also really helped me feel that my experience was valid and had purpose and worth. Oh, yeah. Because although that pregnancy didn't end the way that I wanted it to, at least I could pay tribute to it and Mm -hmm. use it in a way that would bring meaning to it. So I think you're, you've completely accurately pinpointed what I try to do with writing. So I do the same. I write to find things out rather than to tell people what I know. I, I know nothing, but I think like always between you and I, I do it here and you do it here. You know how it is, you're like, there is so much beauty one is supposed to read a novel and just run through it. It's like, you know, exciting. And this one is a thriller, right? A little bit of like, you need to read fast, but you sort of have to stop and go like, mm. especially because I know you maybe. I go like, who's that? Like, which part of Elizabeth is this, <laughs> right? <laughs> because they're not all in one character, are they? I, you know, it's really, really interesting. Anyway, can I ask you about Magpie? So I have to say, I didn't read all of it, but not because of it <laughs> no, 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 because, because I found out very late and I'm also very involved in, in launching Scary Smart. So everyone listening, just you have to send Elizabeth a ton of love and energy because you don't understand how much work it takes to actually publish a book. Writing it is the joyful part, believe it or not. I think you would agree. You love writing it, but then editing is, oh my God, that's a horrible process. <laughs> and then when it's published, which I think is also wonderful because you're talking to people about it and you're getting reflections from people about what you wrote, it's just grueling. Like the number of things you have to do every day is just enormous. So that's why I didn't finish it. But I want to say, so the plot is a love story, right? It starts with a love story, an attempt to build a family, and then a third party comes in. That's all I am allowed to share. You can share from there onwards. Yeah. You have done that perfectly. Okay. And first of all, you're you're so lovely and kind to have me back on slow-mo. You you know how much that means to me. Like, you picked I, I, ma- I, I make up excuses to spend time with you. That's what I'm doing here. No, I, I mean, like, I... thank you. Thank you guys for showing up and giving me the alibi. But... <laughs> You're so kind because I feel like you and I are quite deeply connected. And totally. I feel like you could pick up on my anxiety, on my Becky I brain. Did. My Becky yeah. brain was going into overdrive. And on the worst day that that happened, you, I got a text from you saying, are you okay? Should we do a slow but Anyway, so I'm so grateful <laughs> yeah. to be back. Thank you. By the way, guys, we, we also agreed together a very devious plan of a very interesting promotion. So don't leave until the end because we will tell you <laughs> about the gift that we're giving. So go on. I love having you. I have to say I love the plot. I love what I read so far. Right. I want to know more. So okay. tell everyone what's going on. So you're very sweet. So basically you're right in the Um, There were thrilling aspects to it. I don't know whether I would completely describe it as a thriller, because I think that most of the compulsion to read is driven by the characters. 
And the reason that I have to talk in such vague terms is because there is a big twist at the centre of this novel. I love twists as a reader and as a watcher of films, and I pride myself on always being able to suss out what's going to happen. So it's my challenge to myself to write a very good twist that no one will be able to... <laughs> In advance. So you're absolutely right that it starts out with Jake and Marissa and Marissa is in her late 20s and she's had a while on the dating apps being unable to find anyone and then she meets Jake and it seems really straightforward and it seems to happen quite quickly and they fall in love and they immediately want to try and get pregnant together and they move into this house and it's a slightly oppressive house we don't quite know why and then Jake's business isn't going that well, so they have to take in a lodger. And when the lodger Kate comes, things start to unravel. And Marissa starts to be very suspicious of Kate because she seems to have quite a possessive attitude to both Jake and their life. And she's, she's way too curious to be polite. <laughs> and, and it's about what happens after that. And the themes, I guess, are obsession, jealousy, what happens when you think you get everything you want, but it's it doesn't quite turn out the way that it should? And of course, those themes of fertility and motherhood that we've touched upon and class. Like I hadn't realised until my editor pointed it out to me that I'm quite obsessed with class, the British class system. And I think it's because there is so much politeness, and I put that in inverted mm -hmm. commas, in the, mm -hmm. in the class system which basically involves masquerading your own truth. So, so many times, mm. polite, posh British people don't actually say what they mean. And all the interesting, gritty, sinister, difficult stuff is left unsaid. And I'm very interested as a writer in the absences, in the pauses, in the meaningful silences. So I think I also look at that in Magpie. Mm. I actually have to say, I experienced that living in Britain, and it's, I experienced, <laughs> I, it's quite interesting actually, and, and it's probably like a, a talent for creating novels, because if you don't always say everything, then you, you have to really read through to find yeah. out, but I have to say it's also quite, um, it keeps me on my toes, it's like this thing, I need to go forward, I need to finish, I need to read it because I'm not able to sleep well, because you know, there is a cliffhanger like every yes. every four pages or something, <laughs> right? And, I, and I'm not a novels kind of guy. I'm, I really am not. But I, I really love stories that are there to teach me something. So, you know, you think of Inception, but there is so much to learn. It's not about, the, you know, kicking each other and being in the snow and, you know, having that science fiction, crazy, beautiful way of looking at life. But there is something to learn. And so when you some magpie up. What are you trying yeah. to leave us with? I'm trying to, oh, I don't know how much I can. No giving away, no spoilers. I won't give anything away. I think I'm trying to leave you with an emotional truth. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, I guess, about that being the process of my writing. It's to excavate to deeper meaning and to get to the heart of what something is. And the emotional truth at the heart of Magpie is on a theme that I can't fully tell you about without running the risk of there being a spoiler. Good. But it's the emotional truth of something that I felt I hadn't really seen conveyed in contemporary fiction before. And there's definitely an aspect of that which is to do with my own fertility journey 
in the I've written about that in the past, but I've written about it as it pertains to me in a non-fiction form, and I wanted mm. it to be reflected because novels, you know, some of the novels I love the most are reflections of the world that we live in. Contemporary fiction, I think, either has to hold a mirror up to what we're experiencing, or yeah. encourage us to think about the world in an entirely new way, or to transport us somewhere utterly unique. And I think. I'm very much the kind of author where I want to hold that mirror up and I want to say, what are we doing to ourselves and how are we doing it? Yeah. And how can we connect yeah. with being more honest about it? And at the end of Magpie, there is a kind of redemption. And it's also about women and how amazingly exactly. strong women can be exactly. when they align. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that element, honestly. So you tend to do this really well in general, the idea of saying I'm every woman. Part of my experience is every, is in every one of us, the feminine side of me, but every woman for sure, right? And I think that really touches me because even though, you know, women watching us or listening to this podcast or reading the book would actually not see exact resemblance of the story. The story is a novel and it's not right, but there is that element, that's underlying element of, yeah, this is our truth. This is what yes. we struggle with, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I have these words tattooed on my wrist. And do it, you? Yes, I do. They say, I can't, <laughs> it says- Why did I not see that before? No, it's, well, I think I had it done since I last saw you. So okay. um, <laughs> it, it, it says only connect. And I love that. I do too. It's my one of my favorite quotes. It's from E.M. Forster, Howard's End, and he uses it in a slightly different way. But the way that I choose to live by that quote is to understand that as long as I have made a connection with one other being, then there is meaning and worth to the life that I'm living. And it doesn't really matter what kind of connection that is, even if the connection is, I read your book and I hated it. Like, it, at least... <laughs> That's not going to happen. You try that. <laughs> but at yeah. least there's been some form of interaction and impact because I truly believe that connection is the opposite of alienation. And alienation is something that we all, to a greater or lesser extent, suffer from in this mm. modern world where... On one level, you and I are doing an Instagram Live and a podcast, and we seem to be more connected than ever before. But on another level, that connection can sometimes feel very surface level, very superficial. And there's an mm. epidemic of loneliness and a great fear of loneliness as well. And, and I think that's something that I seek to navigate with everything that I do, not just my writing, but with the podcast too, is just get to the core of what makes us human. And that's why mm. I love talking to you because I love going deep really quickly. I mean- Yeah, I, I don't do know how to do otherwise. I like, I like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know how to do otherwise, honestly. <laughs> I noticed when I jumped in the very deep end, like two sentences in and then you, you caught me again, like, ah, you know, you jump in too deep, too quickly. So I, I told you about the promotion I'm planning to run, but I'm going to run another one that I just thought of, by the way. Okay. Uh, so, right. Amazing. So every one of your other novels won awards. All I mean, no. five of them. <laughs> you can say that if you want. <laughs> no, I, I, that's what I read. So tell me about, do you want me to find it on, on the web? Uh, so I can, I no, can prove I'm, it. Um, actually, yes, I can see what you're saying. I think a couple of them were books of the year in a newspaper roundup. So that... Um, uh -huh. But, you know, as ever with one's own biography, one edits it. <laughs> so 
Okay. Oh, that's so sweet. I think it, well, it's one of those things that you and I have spoken about before on each of our podcasts. That idea of what appears successful to the outside world doesn't always seem it when you're the one experiencing yeah. it inside. And I feel very, very vulnerable with novels because I think it's one of those things where I'm creating an entire universe within the construct of these two book covers. <laughs> and I'm putting my heart and soul into that. And then you unleash it onto the world. And you're like, everyone else can judge what's in my head and my imagination and my heart and soul. What do you think? Whereas I think with the podcast, there's a lot more, you know, I'm a lot more about talking to other people. And with my nonfiction, I don't know why it's different. It just is with my nonfiction. I just feel like, well, this is what I think about it. And that opinion is attached to me as a person and my lived experience. And I feel okay about it. But fiction occupies a specific place of vulnerability for me, if that makes any sense. Mm. So when you say they've all won awards, I'm immediately like, no, they haven't. And actually, that's, <laughs> yeah. that should be my immediate response. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, th I think you embrace failure so much that you wish they didn't. But no, they did, yeah. actually, all, all of them. So I, I have a bet between me and Elizabeth that I want actually to get everyone to share. Okay. So I told her, I believe Magpie is going to be on the charts in the top 10 in its first week. That's my bet. I'm willing to bet I'm putting my, you know, money where my mouth is. So I'm going to post an Instagram story after we're done that asks if you agree. I'm betting with Elizabeth. It will be on the chart on the first week. Okay. And you can click yes, I agree or no, I don't agree. If you're right, you know, if you click no, I don't agree and you're right, I will do a raffle draw and send you both my books with a personalized message that says you won. Okay. And if you actually press I agree and we turn out to be correct because we all know it's going to happen. Uh, then I will send you both my books uh, signed and personalized and you know, and I'll one do a winner. video message. I'll do a personalized video message. Yes. Okay. One, one winner with the message, I love that you were right. Okay. And so there you go. Let's all tell Elizabeth openly what we think. I mean, oh, if you no, think. No. There are all these lovely comments. Have fun, yeah. Blake. Hi, funny. You're so lovely to be on you. There you go. I, I feel sick you saying that. I feel sick you saying that. But I'm trusting you that it's a good way to manifest. It is absolutely Look, I, I don't joke about those things. I do mathematics. I don't, you know, okay. it's, not, I, it's not like a fluffy feeling. I just do the math, right? You're going to be on the chart on the first week. I'm betting on it. Okay. So this is one thing. The other thing is we agreed a promo that I don't know how much you know about the publishing world, but pre-orders make all the difference. So if you really want to put Elizabeth on the charts, don't wait until the book is published and then order it. Order it before it's published. The secret, what happens is booksellers release it all in the day of, uh, of uh, publishing. And so on that first day, Elizabeth would get thousands of people uh, receiving her book and that puts her on the chart. Now, you know the secret. I hold you responsible because this is my best friend in the whole wide world. And I want her to be successful. And I want her to be successful because her message to the world is beautiful. So what ends up happening, let me speak, Elizabeth. Okay. <laughs> Her message to the world is beautiful. I know this person from the inside. I know what she's contributing to life. And I think by making her successful, we make more people hear what she has to say 
And when more people say, hear what she has to say, we have a slightly better world. So I'm actually asking you as a call of duty to please go out and order Magpie. Now, the promo I'm doing is take a print screen of your pre-order, send it to win at mogaudat.com, win at my name, mogaudat.com, and five winners will win personalized copy of whichever book of mine that they like. And I think they will win the joy of reading this amazing work that she has written. Please come and speak. <laughs> Please speak. You, I mean, you are such a wonder to me. And that is, you are so profoundly beautiful. And um, I cannot thank you enough. I just can't thank you enough for the gift of you. Other than like, this is just the kindest thing you could have done for me. I had such a weird anxiety spiral last week <laughs> and I should have known that the solution is Mo because the solution <laughs> is always Mo Gaudat and everyone no, is agreeing and can I just say there are some lovely lovely people in the comments and I'm reading them now and you've asked some of you have asked the best place to pre-order there is um a link in my Instagram biography which has all the details if you want it but thank you and also you get the gift of Mo's books, which are just life-changingly brilliant. That new one, Elizabeth, I actually started to interview about it. The more I do, the more I realize that I'm actually doing something. Like, this is an important book. Bur blurb on my next book is by Elizabeth, and she actually wrote it in, like, three seconds. And <laughs> it is so... It's so perfect. It like literally describes the whole book because the book is about artificial intelligence from the title, but it really isn't. It is exactly about what you wrote about. It is yeah. about reminding us how to become human in the age of the machines. And I think that's so amazing that you capture that. I want to go back to you. So can I ask how that was written? You know how I write? I write like a software engineer. I have every single part of the flow chart of how the book is going to look like. The whole structure is written first, and then I fill in the blanks, basically, right? You don't do that. When you start to write something like Magpie, you, you didn't know where it was going, right? No. And that's, it's so funny because we connect so deeply, and yet we've got such different ways <laughs> so of thinking. <laughs> I also love yeah. what you do when you write your book, and you then outsource it, and... It's like a kind of hacking event, isn't it? Where people can suggest changes, I you know, like outsource the editing process. It's such a cool idea and I've never heard of anyone else who does it. It's almost like the Jeff the best part. model of making art, but for literature, it's kind of amazing. It's broke my mind. It, um, it is the best part. On Scary Smart, I had 127 people, like literally telling me, change that sentence. Oh, here is a bit of research. Oh, I didn't like that bit. I was going to drop out here. It's like, it's amazing. Like they're writing it for me. It's incredible, really. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. I don't write like that because I'm <laughs> so terrified that what I'm writing is absolute rubbish. I don't want anyone to read it until I've got it as good as I think it can be in my head. And particularly with Magpie, because there is this twist. I didn't tell my editor or my agent anything about the plot. I just gave them the elevator pitch, which was it's Gone Girl meets Lullaby, the Adele Slimani novel, at which point my agent was like, fine, I don't need to know any more. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of like actually writing, I always start with a character, with the people. That's where I start. And I start with someone's voice. And I need to really write myself into 
who that character is. So it's that process of discovery that you identified so wisely mm. at the beginning. I'm discovering who the character is as I'm writing. And I get to know them so much better just through that process. And with Magpie, I didn't have a big flow chart and I didn't map out the plot in advance. And that's partly because I like to be in the writing. Um, mm. I feel like doing a flow chart for me would be the equivalent of spending weeks on a revision timetable and then never sitting the exam. I, I feel I would spend <laughs> too much time getting the right pen and the right kind of colorway combination for the flow chart. Whereas actually I need to be doing the writing. And with Magpie, I knew where I was going to begin and I knew what the twist was going to be. And I knew it was going to be a story of two halves and that's as much as I had. And then I wrote. And it's not the same for every novel, but that was certainly the way with Magpie. With The Party, my previous novel, I definitely did plan it out a lot more. And I treated the plot as an additional character. And I sort of found the plot's voice as well as the characters' voices. But with Magpie, it's quite a limited cast of characters. It's deliberately quite an oppressive setting. It's all generally speaking within the confines of this one house. And so it was, I made it simpler for myself in that respect as well. I think this is why I don't write novels. Uh, <laughs> I, I <can't>, I, <laughs> honestly, I can't do that. I mean, like literally, so I, I don't know if you know this, but on my desktop, I have seven books that I'm working on. In my mind, all seven are written already. They're done. Like, it's really a question of time. I just need to get in and write the detail. And, and if I don't have that, I would not be able to write a single word. I write titles, then subtitles, literally like a subroutine, like a flowchart. And then I start from the very end. So actually, the very first thing I write is the last sentence of the book. And then I go backwards and say, how can I deliver this sort of like truth to the yes. reader? And then I go backwards. Yeah, and it's, it's really almost the exact, oh, that's, of course, that's why I would never write a novel. If I, if I have a novel idea, would you write with me? Oh, totally. But also, I think <laughs> oh, did you hear that, everyone? <laughs> she said totally. Okay. She said yes. <laughs> I think that's a really scary, smart way of going about it because you identify the theme and the emotional truth and i do know writers who write like that i know novelists who write like that like sebastian folks will think of a theme the theme that he wants to explore and then he'll build a novel around it and i've never been able to do it that way but i think that it's a really clever way of doing it actually i remember we spoke about this last time that I love When Harry Met Sally, and you wrongly claim that Love Actually is the greatest rom-com of all time. And wrongly. I correctly claim Did you that say Harry wrongly? <laughs> Did you say wrongly? It, it is the absolute fact. I have numbers to prove it. <laughs> Justin agrees with you, so I don't know what that says. But, but yeah. in When Harry Met Sally, um, Harry, the character, famously, he reads the last line of a book before he reads the rest of it because he's worried that he might die halfway through not knowing how it ends. <laughs> and that's how you write a book, so... Don't yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, it's like you can take them now, give them to a ghostwriter and they'll be, they'll be written. It's, you know, it's, it's done. Are we not going to settle this Harry met Sally thing? I actually did my homework. I went back. I swear to you. <laughs> yeah, and I went back and I watched both of them back to back. Okay. And, and yeah, I, lit, I had a little bit of butterflies and it's cute and nice. And, you know, yeah, I like him when Harry met Sally. But I, I cried like 20 times through One Love, actually. Every single one of those love stories. Like, it's just an amazing variety 
of all of the different types of love, not just the romantic love of Hollywood. Listen, I think Let's, Love Actually uh, is a really, really good film. But when Harry Met Sally also subverts the traditional <laughs> romantic norms of Hollywood, because it's two really good friends who at the outset start sort of hating each other, then have that whole discussion about whether good friends can ever have a friendship when it's between a male and a female that isn't slightly sexualized. Then they go through dating other people and the, the running joke is like, we'd never end up together. And when they do end up together, it doesn't come with like a fanfare of pink kittens and red helium balloons. It's just like the beautiful growth and maturity of this love that they've realized they have for each other. And the dialogue is impeccable. And I just love the acting and love, but listen, Love actually is very good. But you can't tell me that that story with Chris Marshall and like the oversex blonde American women, like that couldn't have reduced you to tears, that one. If you're in his place, it does. <laughs> if you're in his <laughs> place, it's not the American side of it, it's his British experience that is really interesting, that he leaves this world with the hope of another life. And yeah, maybe that's his definition of love. I will tell you though, the one thing about When Harry Met Sally is that Honestly, isn't this how every love story should be? Yes, I agree with that. But isn't this how every love story that has the potential of actually making it should be? That deep friendship followed by trying, trying to find anything else that works and then eventually getting to that point of saying, actually, that friendship matters. Totally yeah. agree. I want to come back to that. And I just want to say, in Love Actually, I have to admit, there is one of the greatest scenes of film history of all time when Emma Thompson unwraps the Joni Mitchell CD. And there's that incredible bit in the bedroom, which reduces me to tears just thinking about it. So I'll let you have that. Mm -hmm. But you're okay, so okay. right. Okay, I think, <laughs> you're so I, think we, right. I think we're getting somewhere here. We are. You're so right about love. So for me, and you know a bit of my journey to love, it hasn't been smooth. I have been married before to the wrong person. I dated a succession of wrong people who seemed to read as right at the time, but weren't. And I always thought, having been raised on a diet of sort of 1980s rom-coms, that true, true, exciting Hollywood love should be accompanied by a fanfare and fireworks. And there should be this kind of lightning strike. We were like, you're my soulmate and I can't live without you. And oh my gosh, it's so passionate, the push and pull of this, romantic adventure and then i met justin who is oh, now my husband who you have met, an amazing who, man <laughs> who is like amazing. seriously but for me it was a real slow burn and i think for him as well because we'd been mm -hmm. hurt mm -hmm. before and so we were really careful about what we did with our relationship and it was much slower than i was used to and it was so strange to me because he doesn't play games and i was like who is this weirdo who's just... I told you. I know, he's like he's saying what he means. That's just unsettling. And now I believe that that, for me anyway, is the foundation of the greatest love of all. That kind of slow building from strong foundations. And it's super romantic. And you don't often see that represented in films. I have to say, if there should be, maybe that's a novel you should write. It should be a film, to be honest. Yeah. I, I really, you know, of course, you go through life and you know thousands of couples. You guys are just, he's a really good man. And you're an amazing, amazing gift. So what can I tell you? It's just, you give me hope in life that 
you know, this exists. I swear. Guys, can you leave us, please? No, don't leave us. No, no, just... <laughs> this is a discussion for after Instagram Live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so are you working on anything else now, Elizabeth? Are you going to beat me to my next book? I'm publishing I'm... another one in April. No, I'm working on getting you a long-term romantic partner. Um, but I'm also... Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> is that a public announcement? That's not no. supposed to be a public I mean, announcement. You are like the most eligible man I know, honestly. So I... Change topics, change I'm, topics. Okay. That's why I said it's Embarrassed. on Instagram Live. <laughs> yes. um, so what am I writing? No, you will beat me. I um, My next book is a non-fiction book and it's about friendship. Because I think a lot of us have undergone uh, a re-evaluation of what friendship means to us during the pandemic. So I want to write a sort of series of essays on friendship through the lens of my own friends. And I'm sort of interviewing a few people around that. But I haven't properly started that yet. Can we write about me and Ali, best friendship ever? Oh, I would love that. If you would allow me to, oh my that would be such an honour. No, I'm, just when you said friendship, it just is what felt like the best friendship ever. You very, know, think, very unexpected. I think of Ali all the time. And I think that's man. one of the beautiful gifts you've given him and the rest of the world is that he's still an ever-present force for so many of us because of what yeah. he has taught us through you. And I yeah. never met him when he was on the earth, but I feel that I have connected with him through you and he's been an incredible guide for me. And I want to thank you for that because I can't think of any more profound, more beautiful application of your grief, which I know you live with every single minute of every single day. I actually really am, of course, seven years later now. I know for sure that he was definitely a much bigger gift than just my gift. And you can easily see that. I mean, his dream was to be everywhere and part of everyone. And I think he's really getting there. It's just incredible the, the number of people that love this being. And he's worthy of all of the love, I tell you that, hands down. And it's just such a gift. Honestly, without it, it I wouldn't be the same. I mean, grief is a, is a serious, I mean, even the strongest of us, it's just unbearable. And it just doesn't go away. It's really, really weird. But to feel that, that he's... His essence remains. I mean, my next book, which, believe me, doesn't look like a Ali instruction, was literally instructed to me in vivid words, get up and start writing, you need to write this. And we chat, me and him, in a very unusual way. But it's not, it's not a, a fluffy guess. You know, it's very numeric and very, very pattern following. And he basically said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Get up and write. And the message of the book is very timely. And I think that connection, he's, he must be doing something. And I'm now reading a very unusual book called My Big Toe. It's a physicist who's trying to explain physics from the point of view of consciousness. Very, very complex mm -hmm. physics. And of course, that stuff fascinates me. But the idea of that oneness of all of us within this life and beyond this life it's just fascinating when you see it from the point of view of physics. And it's really something that I'm starting to feel that more and more Ali's never really left, if you know what I mean. Anyway. Yeah. And thank you, Mo. As someone in the comments was saying that they've never, since hearing 
the interview that the original House Fail interview did, they've never played a computer game the same way again. And I, <laughs> yes. I've, but I've never thought of computer games in the same way again. I just think it's that thing that you said that Ali said that it's like the point was to the play, experience. The level. It wasn't yeah. getting to the end the quickest. It was amazing. Yeah. So uh, those who will read my next book will actually understand much more that this actually is a game. In the highest level of Buddhist, you know, monkhood, if you want, you eventually realize that the whole thing is supposed to be play. You're exactly. supposed to play. And I will tell you from a technology advancement point of view, this more and more resembles a game. But that's a topic for another day. Elizabeth. <laughs> Okay, so everyone is going to bet on you to be in the first week or not, but that's not the point. The winner, you know, will get both copies of my both books. What do I get if you're in the first week? I get a signed copy of Magpie to Mo directly. Oh, okay? obviously, you're going to get that anyway. I want you to say something in it like you were right or something like okay, that. Okay, I'll do something pertaining to Love Actually. Maybe I'll recreate a scene from Love Actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> playing all the parts. I can, I can take that actually. <laughs> but I also want my signed copy. And I don't know what to tell you other than you are an amazing force of nature. You really, truly, truly touch my heart. And if you touch my heart, then I know you touch millions of hearts and you're so pure and wonderful in what you do. That's, I think, the reason why life gives you Justin, because you want a, a good, strong uh, wingman. And uh, yeah, you know what? Don't ever be anxious again. Thanks. And if you ever feel anxious again, call me. I what are you doing? Why don't you call me? Well, I don't need to because you just telepathically intuit that I need to hear from <laughs> you. And then you arrange this and you're just, I feel so lucky that you are in my life guiding it in the way that you do. And I, I feel really overwhelmed and deeply moved by the faith that you have in me and the things that you say about me because I know that you always speak from the heart and you speak without the normal filter of bullshit that so many people have apologies for my language <laughs> but I yeah. feel so seen by you like every single time we communicate and actually even when we don't and it's such a blessing to me it really really is and please can I say <laughs> when Scary Smart comes out please do come back on how to fail I'd be honored. Just don't skip the last comment. I see you better than you see you, Elizabeth. This is why I say the things that I say about you. And yes, absolutely would love to come and talk about Scary Smart. I more and more am realizing that it's important to remember what it's like to be human. I think it really is the theme of our time. I get very jealous when I see you on other podcasts, okay? <laughs> Do you? Okay, <laughs> yes. I, can, I can play with that. I can play with that. <laughs> so you have to come back on tonight to fail first, okay? My honor. I, my I'm... honor and my pleasure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone, this was, uh, I don't know if you should have been here. It's just the two of us chatting. I hope you enjoyed it and loved it as much as I always do, because you give me the alibi, honestly, to speak to the most amazing people on the planet. Uh, while you're at it, some of you may not know about my theme. So my theme is, uh, regardless of how busy you are, you might as well slow down. So thank you so much for slowing down and joining us. Elizabeth, I love you dearly. I will win the bet. And uh, I will, <laughs> I will get my signed copy. You will uh, definitely do that. I love you oh, so much. We didn't say, by the way, September second is the release date. So you're in the eleventh hour. Go pre-order now. Thank you, and thank you also for everyone who joined and all of your lovely comments. And.
thank you, Mo, for making the time and for reminding me to slow down, to dial down the volume on my Becky brain. <laughs> Absolutely. And to treat life basically as a computer game. I appreciate you. Thank you. Totally. I love you dearly. See you soon. Bye.